Well, good morning to each one of you. I'm thankful to be here. I'm, uh, I've enjoyed the service, and I uh, was thinking about this Memorial Day. <clears throat> I, uh, of course, was a child and during World War II, and I remember very distinctly when the war ended, and, and uh, I lived in Bell Fountain, Ohio, and Bell Fountain, uh, of course, is a crossroads of of the New York Central System, they're north and south and east and west, and they they changed engines there back then when they had steam engines, and train load after train load after train load of soldiers passed through there, and I would go up to that depot and uh, greet them, and they had uh, some volunteers had some snacks set up and. They get off of the train, and every once in a while they give me a nickel or dime or something, and uh, I I always always had a high regard for soldiers. I was brought up in a time when we were taught to love America, and uh, and I still do. I still love America. I'm saddened by the course that many have taken, but I still. I still love the principles of our founding documents. And even though when they were first founded, they were ideals. And it has taken us as a nation to work through many problems. Slavery was one of them and, and some other problems that we had as a people. But those guiding principles helped us to overcome every one of those obstacles. And there are some people want to destroy or change those guiding principles, I hope they do not accomplish what they have set out to do. Because if they do, then it will not be the country that I have known and loved. But I I just want to say this, and then I'll get to my message. If you're a veteran here, man or woman, I say thank you. For your service. I was too young for the Korean conflict and too old for the Vietnam. I was just in that period there. So I never served. And I, I do appreciate your service, though. Those of you that are here, whoever you are. Under the sound of my voice, I just say thank you for your service. Father, we thank you from the depths of our heart for all of the kindness and blessings and goodness that you've showered upon us throughout our life. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity this morning. And I pray that thou will guide my mind and I might be able to say something that will be of a benefit to this people. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will help me, Father of Heaven, to say what I ought to say, to omit what I ought to omit, and Father of Heaven, to glorify thee in all that I do and say here this morning. We ask that your, your presence will be felt. And the power of your word will move hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You've had some mighty, mighty good preaching here. Excellent preaching, actually. More than just good preaching, Sister Sarah. God bless her heart. My heart went out to her. She was physically uh, struggling, but she delivered her first message on on the need of revival. was powerful. And then, of course, her messages on faith and prayer and they were encouraging, and then Brother Mark Stanky, and then Brother uh, and Mike Avery. And they they preached on holiness, deeper life, and some of the some of the best messages I've heard. And and I, I know that mine will not compare to theirs, but you were blessed. Actually, you were privileged to be able to set. Not only hear those messages, but there was a spirit that attended them. Uh, it was a it was a unusual thing. It wasn't the normal common thing. And as Brother Bartlett said, I believe it was a time of refreshing. The Bible speaks about times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord, and those times. We can't duplicate them. We can't make them happen. I mean, there's no way that that we can, nothing that we can do to make them happen. But God in his grace and his mercy gives them. And they're to refresh us. They're to encourage us. They're to challenge us. They're to help to bring about changes in our life so that we will continue on and being faithful to the Lord. And many of you responded to that. I don't know altogether. There's no way I can know anybody's heart. But I know that there were hearts here that responded to that. And, uh, and God, God, took, God took note of that. God took note of your response of your heart, the commitments that you've said, the promises that you've made, and God took note of that. And now as you live out those commitments and walk with the Lord, God will continue to be with you and help you and guide you. Also, I forgot to mention your pastor, Brother Bartlett, has also been preaching some very good messages here of late. I I think I've mentioned this, I'll mention it and get to my lesson, but I listen to the service, Sunday morning service, uh, every Sunday afternoon or evening. I, uh, uh, I, I, I drive to where my son pastors and my home congregation. But if I'm at home, like I was last week, I was sick. I had the COVID again, and uh, I, I, I wasn't well enough to be here. I, I was... I hoped to be here last Sunday, but I couldn't. I mean, this physically I could not. But I do thank God for his goodness to you. And I, I don't know how much you really realize what a privilege you've had, but I hope that you do. If you have your Bibles, turn with us to Isaiah, the first chapter.
I'm going to talk to you a little bit this morning about the consequences when God's people rebel against him. The vision Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah and Hamhan and Hazai and Hezekiah kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But, my, but Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. Children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They have gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. For the soul, from the sole of the feet, foot, even unto the head, there is no sound in it, but wounds and bruises and petrifying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate, as overthrown by strangers. And the daughters of Zion is left as a cottage in the vineyard, as a lodge in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Isaiah is speaking of a time when, in the, during the time that he lived, he, he served during the time of these four kings in Judah. These four kings reigned from about oh, over 100 years, I think, 690 to about 590 B.C. And uh, he didn't serve that long. He, he, the book of Isaiah tells us it was only at the latter end of Uzziah's reign that he began to serve. But... He served during that time, and that was the time when the people of God were going away from the Lord. A very discouraging time, by the way, when God's people abandon him and go the wrong way, it's discouraging, especially for the faithful. Brother Bartlett already mentioned this morning that some of the things that we are witnessing and seeing, not only in the world... But in the church, uh, they are more and more of the various uh, groups and denominations are, are uh, accommodating themselves to homosexual lifestyle, transgenders, and so on. They're accommodating themselves to the culture. And there's, so, there's tremendous pressure. These things are lawful. Supported by, legally supported by our government. There are things that are taught in our schools. 
There are things, my friend, that the scientist tells us. It's, it's just the way it is. People born that way. And there's so much pressure and, and seemingly so much evidence that it is convincing to many, many people. All of us are going to be affected by that. All of us are going to be affected in one way or another. We're all going to be affected. I hope it does not sway us from the truth of God's word. But I'm telling you, it's, it's very powerful when you have all of these things coming together. In one way, I'm glad that it's out in the open. Uh, I don't know whether you understand that or not. But I'm glad it's out in the open. Now I see, I see the enemy, you know. Instead of being underground and subtle, I mean, it's, it's marching down Main Street. It can be a very discouraging time. Brother Bartlett mentioned that, and that's true. It was discouraging for the people in Isaiah's day to see their country going the way, especially the, the faithful uh, people. I want to back up here just a little bit. I want to talk about what was the purpose of God in having a chosen people. You know, uh, God didn't always have a chosen people. Now, God has always had some people who served him. I meant from Adam on, there was always some people who served him. Now, that number at times diminished down to a very few. And in fact, in the days of Noah, it got down to just eight people. Eight people. And there'd been times, my friend, when there are times of apostasy and times, my friend, when the numbers have really been diminished. But God has always had a people. I always had some people who served him. But the idea of a chosen people didn't begin until Abraham. A chosen people that was a nation, not just individuals scattered here and there, but a group of people. A group of people, my friend, that were the descendants of one man, Abraham. In fact, the Bible many times describes God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, if you ask me who my God was, I could answer that it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's my God because he is God. And when God began to reveal himself through Abraham and his descendants... Every people had its own God. All the nations, the tribes, the the various groups of people that were on the earth, they all had their they all had their own God. And and uh, these gods competed. And uh, you know, Babylon claimed that their gods were greater than the gods of Israel when they defeated the Israelites. But of course, that was not true. God was just allowing them to defeat them for punishment for their sins, right? And then God turned the table later on and showed who really is God. But the question would be then, 
Who's the true God? Are there many gods? And that's why in, the, in Isaiah and in other places in the Bible, God says, I am one. And what he means is there's only one God. There's only one true God. But, but how do we know which God that was? All these various nations had their God. Well, God decided to reveal himself. To reveal himself for who he is. As Brother Bartlett also said this morning, and has preached on it at least in two of his messages, that people do not understand who God is. And that's true. That's true. And on their own, they can't. And for that reason, God has chosen a people through whom he can witness, my friend, that he is God. That he is God. That he is the true God. And we find, my friend, that throughout the history of the Old Testament Israel, God was doing that. As I said, it began, the idea of a chosen people began with Abraham. God chose Abraham and that through him all nations would be blessed. Genesis 18, 18 says, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. This is at the time that God called Abraham. And God said here that Abraham's going to become a great nation. And that through his descendants, that all the other nations are going to be blessed. Galatians tells us, you and I, our ancestors were not originally part of the chosen people of God. Most all of us come from European background, and our ancestors were heathen. They were pagans. You know, you go back 10, 12 generations and, or wherever, and they were pagans. Mine was. Yours were. And God wanted all the people in the world to come to know that he was truly God and that he was the, the living God. Galatians 3, third chapter, 8 verse. And the scriptures foreseen that God would justify the heathen. See? <laughs> the Bible could see down in the future. That God was going to justify the heathen. And he's talking there about pagans. People who worship other gods. That's what a pagan is. They, they worship a God beside the true and the living God. And that God was going to justify the heathen through faith. Of course, through faith in Christ and his sacrifice. He, God preached before the gospel unto Abraham. Saying... In these shall all nations be blessed. Paul's telling us that this idea that all nations would be blessed uh, by the nation of Israel and the descendants of Abraham. And ultimately, Jesus Christ. That God was going to save the world through him. And that nations would be blessed. Now that's God's purpose. That's what God, the reason God had a chosen people was so that he could 
reveal himself to those people and bring salvation to the world. God's purpose, my friend, was to save and bless all nations. The descendants of Abraham became a holy people unto God. And holy here means uh, belonging to God. And Deuteronomy 7th chapter and 6th verse said, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now here it's telling us that the reason why God chose Abraham, and I'm not going to go into it, but God had a reason he chose Abraham. Abraham was not only the was not the only one that worshipped the true God, but God chose him because one of the reasons is because the Bible said that he will command his children after him. God chose Abraham because he knew that Abraham would influence the following generations. They were special people unto the Lord above all other people on the face of the earth. That doesn't mean God loved them more. What it means was God had a purpose for them. And that purpose was to reveal himself to the world so that the people would know who God, who God is. Who God is. The purpose of God's people was to show the world that God is God. Uh, Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, the 10th through the 12th verse. God said to Israel, You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, and ye, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Now God's saying here, people of God, you're my witnesses. You're my servant You've, uh, that I've chosen. And I've chosen you so that you can know and believe in me. And also that you could understand that I am he, that I am really God. Before me there is no God formed, neither shall there be after me. There's only one true God. And that's the God that revealed himself to Abraham and his descendants. I, even I, am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. I have declared, I have saved, I have shown when there was no strange God among you. A God is, uh, Isaiah is telling them that God declared uh, through prophecy. He delivered, he saved them, he showed them many things when there was no strange gods among them when they really worship him. Therefore... You're my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. You're my witnesses, that I am God. I remember years ago when I, I watched uh, uh, a movie called the Ten Commandments, and Charleston Heston uh, plays Moses in that, and uh, Ewell Brannard plays the Pharaoh. And near the end of that movie, one of the last scenes is that when Pharaoh comes back from his defeat 
at the Red Sea and the drowning of his forces. And he slumps down on his throne. He says, the God of Moses is God. Now that's, that's what God intends, that's what God's purpose is to his people. That people will say that God is God, you know? You're my witnesses that I am God. Now the nation of Israel often failed God's purpose for them by their disobedience. But in spite of their disobedience, God still acknowledged them as, as his people. There were times of apostasy, very low time, times, my friend, of, of sin and persecution of God's people. Uh, there were times when the nation of Israel were, was really disobedient unto God. And when these times of disobedience and apostasy God dealt with them according to the stipulations of the covenant relationship. And I'll not go into that except to say that two things were stated in the covenant. That if they were faithful to God, they would receive the blessings of God. And if they were disobedient, they would experience the curses of God. And you can see that spelled out in very plain language Uh, in Deuteronomy towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy. A few times, their failure was so serious that God was tempted to destroy them. After delivering them from Egypt and they came to the borders of the promised land, Twelve spies were sent into the land to bring back a report. And ten of those spies said, oh, it's a, it's a wonderful land, but we could never conquer it. Two, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, it is a fortified land. There will be all kinds of difficulties, but God's with us. And we can, we can take it because we have, they were men of faith. Believed in God's promise. But the people believed the ten. That's human nature. Isn't it? That's human nature. You, you take one lone, one lone voice that may be speaking the truth, but if you got a dozen that's speaking something else, what is the natural tendency? What's the natural tendency of every one of us to listen to the majority? That's a tendency. And that's what happened to the people at the borders of Canaan. And God was so angry with them that he was ready to destroy them. In fact, he said, I'll just wipe them off the face of the earth and I'll begin anew with you, Moses. And we would not be called the children of Abraham. We would have been called the children of Moses. And Moses said, no, God, don't do that. Don't do that. If you do that, the heathen are going to say that you destroyed this people because you don't have the power to take them into the promised land. And it's going to be a reflection against you and your glory. 
God forgive them. And so God mediated his judgment and said, all right, I'm not to kill them in one stroke, but he condemned them to 40 years of wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, wandering until every male that was 20 years and older, except Joshua and Caleb, every one of them died. During that 40 years. Every one of them. God judged sin. But not in a way. That would bring dishonor to himself. God was tempted to destroy them. But he never gave up his purpose through them. And that was to bring salvation to the world. Isaiah one of the verses I tried to find a moment. A few moments ago and I couldn't. But the Bible tells about how that a bruised reed and a uh, and uh, smoking flax he 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 will not show contempt for, but he, he will continue to work and and the following verse says he will never fail until he has established justice in the world. Now, God has a purpose. And that purpose is that the world would come to know him. And that purpose, my friend, is, is being carried out. And it's going to continue to be carried out. And I say again that God never give up his purpose through Israel. Even though at their lowest levels and when they, they were anything but a true representation of the people of God, God never gave up. Because he's never going to give up. During these times of unfaithfulness, God always brought judgment against their sins. Always. But judgment was never his last word. Beyond judgment, there was restoration. That happened time and time and time again. The people would become unfaithful. And then there would be a time of judgment. But then there would be following. In fact, in Isaiah, the first 30-some chapters, all he talks about is judgment and, and the terrible condition. But then the latter part of the book of Isaiah is so much different. In fact, it's so much different that there's some scholars believe that there were two writers. I don't. He talks about restoration. He talks about bringing the people of God back. Even though he talks about exile and how they're going to suffer for their sins. Yet beyond that, beyond that, there is going to be a restoration. And my friend, this is the way God has continued to deal. My friend, at very... when. When Israel was at its worst, God continued to work with them during their times of unfaithfulness to bring them to repentance, to forgive them of their sins, and to restore them as a holy people. In, in fact, I think as Jeremiah, with some of the prophets, they speak in terms of a marriage and divorce. 
And they, they, they apostasy uh, was spoken in terms of divorce, like people have divorced God. But God, God said to them, I'm still married to you. I'm still married to you. Why? He had a purpose. He had a purpose to fulfill. And my friend, he, he brought them in time to repentance and restoration. If you know anything about the history of the Christian church, it hasn't been much different than the Old Testament Israel. I'm going to tell you, my friend, the church has not just been an inclined plane. It's been up and down and up and down. There have been times, my friend, when the church has, was just in, I'm talking about nominal Christianity now, in the church in general, professing Christian. I mean, they is at a very low ebb, very low. But God continued to work. Amen? Historically, what has happened in the church? The times of real low uh, spirituality and immorality and sin abounding. What happened? There was a reformation. There was a revival. There was an awakening. People, my friend, were were brought back to God again and again and again. At times, I say the professing Christian church has been in a very low spiritual state indeed. In fact, the nominal church is in a very low spiritual condition today. The Christian church in America, my friend, is not a true representative of the Bible. Amen? It's, we're in a time of very low spiritual condition, at least in American culture. Now, I don't know what it is around the world, what it's like in Africa or South America or, or the Asian countries, but sin is condoned by professing Christians. Horrible sins. Sins that are, are, are spoken in the scriptures as being abomination. And the word abomination means something extremely disgusting to God. More and more groups and denominations are trying, my friend, to accommodate themselves to homosexuality, to transgenders. And we're going to see more of that as time goes on. We're going to see more of that. And it's going to be a very difficult time ahead. I, I don't want to paint no picture that would discourage you because God will stand with us if we'll stand with him. But we've got, we've got a battle, and especially the young adults that are Christians you got a battle ahead of you. I don't know whether you're ready for it, but ready or not, it's coming. Ready or not, it's coming. And you're going to be faced with situations that's going to really challenge you. 
decisions that you have to make. Sometimes a decision means whether you keep your job or not. Sometimes it's going to mean whether you go to jail or not. Christians are facing that in America now. And it's coming, my friend, in a larger scale as as things continue to roll on down the road. Now, I just wanted to lay that background. That's what Isaiah was facing. Of the people of God whose purpose was to show the world that God is God. And they were failing him. They were failing him terribly. And Isaiah was sent to preach to them. Let's look at this. Isaiah, the first chapter, first two verses. Isaiah is describing this time of, of unfaithfulness. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. It identifies my friend who is the author. And then in the days, and then it mentions these four kings of Judah. And that's, that's the time that he served. And then he says, Hear, O heaven, and give ear, O, give ear, o earth. For the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Here God is, Isaiah is saying that his own children rebelled against him. This is said concerning Judah. I don't know whether you know Old Testament history, but Israel, you know, when the kingdom was divided into Israel and Judah, Israel was the first to go away from God. And they went in, they went into captivity into Assyria. But there was Judah. And they remained faithful a lot longer than what Israel. But eventually Judah also failed. And they went into captivity into Babylon. And God's saying, I nourished and brought up children. Well, what does he mean by that? God took that nation of Israel. He nourished it. He guided, directed them. He sent them prophet after prophet, godly leader after godly leader. He gave them revelations of, of himself that could only, things about God that only could be revealed by God. And God revealed himself unto them. But... They rebelled against him after all God had done for them. After all God had done for them, they still rebelled against him. His own children rebelled against him. I looked the word rebel up, and uh, it's a compound word. Uh, the prefix R-E, re, and then bell. But uh, they R-E is is just a a prefix that emphasizes the word is it in fact sometimes it it has the meaning of double like you repeat it you're emphasizing it and that's what it means and then the word uh, bell comes from bellar b e l l a r e and that means to make war When God said that the people were rebelling against him, he meant, my friend, more 
than just simply disobeying. The word disobedience, my friend, simply means to refuse to obey. But the word rebel means more than disobedience. It means defiant disobedience. And that's different. I don't know whether you know this, but what we're facing today is something new in our country. We've always had disobedience, okay? We've always had sin. There's always been homosexual. There's always been uh, people, my friend, that were confused about their gender. There's always been these kind of things. But it's different now in the fact, my friend, that it's defiant What's taking place in America is something new, uh, at least in our history. It's more than disobedience. It's rebellion against God. People are actually rebelling against God. We have satanic churches arising. People that in defiance of God is worshiping Satan? (laughs) There's always been black magic people, you know, but not to the scale. These folks are moving into our schools. (laughs) They're forming clubs. They're, you know, this this is not the usual. This is rebellion against God. Actual hostility towards the believer and towards, my friend, holiness and God. It's a tragic thing when people that God has blessed rebel against him. The ox knoweth, verse 3, the ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Rebellion against God is really a very stupid thing. You know? It's a very stupid thing to do. Rebel against God. Even dumb animals have more sense than that. Right? Many in our culture do not realize what they have received from God. This country of America that people hate so much, and, and, uh, or at least some do, not all. Thank God, I hope not even a majority. But there's some people that hate it. It's, it's the thing that gives them the freedom to say the ugly things they're saying. But God, my friend is not recognized as the one who is the giver of every good gift. The ox and the ass knew who fed them and who cared for them. I have animals. Uh, Used to have more animals than when we lived on a farm. So I had animals. But I'm going to tell you, an animal after a short time knows, knows who takes care of them. They know who's going to feed them. In fact, when they see you coming with the slop bucket, the hogs come down to the trough. They know that. 
My cat, that's all I got now is a cat. But when I get up in the morning and if she's outside in good weather, she is in winter, she stays in the garage. But when I open the garage door, in she comes and jumps up on her table waiting for me to give her some fresh food. Dumb animals know, my friend, who really they owe their blessings of life to. Verse 4, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity and seeds of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, and they have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger, and they have gone away backward. He speaks of them as being a sinful nation. And that their influence was just the opposite of what God intended for what, what I, The reason I laid the foundation before. I wanted you to see what God's purpose was for his people. And they were living in direct opposition of that. God chose those people to reveal himself. That he is God. And they were doing just the opposite because of their sin. In fact, he said, they're seeds of evildoers. They were sowing seeds of evil uh, by their influence, by what they did, what they said. Instead of influencing people to serve God, my friend, they were corruptors. It says they are corruptors, corruptors of society. Because they have forsaken the Lord. It's, it's, it's that kind of activity that provoked God. Said they provoked the Holy One to Israel. Somebody said God loves everybody. I'm going to tell you, God can get angry. Now I know that that's hard for some of you to take. But God can get angry. And he can get angry with you as a person. And the reason he does, every time the reason, is because of your behavior. Amen? Then he says, and this is a sad thing, why should you be stricken anymore? You revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the feet, of foot, even unto the head, uh, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and purifying sore, and they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Their state of rebellion had brought them to a point that further reproof and discipline would do them no good. Did you know that rebellion, one of, one of the character uh, of that difference between just plain disobedience and rebellion is that when you try to correct rebellious people, they get angry. They get mad. And instead of yielding to correction, they just stiffen up. And it, that's what the scripture is saying here. They just, uh, they just revolt more and more. God trying to correct them. Isaiah's preaching, other prophets during that time. Uh, we won't go into that history, but if you know anything of Old Testament, during that time, God sent prophet after prophet. What happened? They got angry. Some of them they imprisoned. Some of them they, they mistreated. 
persecuted, physically mistreated them, and some they put to death. But why, why can't you correct people that are rebellious? It's because they're so full of spiritual disease that it's incurable. Incurably sick. That's what he said. The whole, the whole thing is sick. We live in a sick society, friend, to a large degree. What's going on is sickening. They're sick. They don't know it, but they're sick. And my friend, disciplinary action would simply increase them to rebel more and more. Your country is desolate and your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devoured in your presence. It is desolate and overthrown by strangers. And the daughters of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard and a lodge in a garden of cucumbers as a besieged city. This is simply describing their desolate condition. It's like a a conquered, abandoned, burned down city. Desolate. And then also it's speaking here of the cottage in the vineyard and the uh, lodge in the garden of cucumber. That's talking about they had little harvest huts. You know, at harvest time, sometimes they lived in the villages and then their, the, the, the land that they farmed was outside. And they lived in the village and then they went out into the fields to do their farming. Well, during harvest, they would build these temporary uh, huts and shelters. But then when harvest was over, they just left them. And what he's saying is that you're like an abandoned harvest shed after the harvest is long gone. You're just empty. And that's speaking of their desolate condition. And then verse 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been as Gomorrah. Here he's saying that God always reserves a remnant of faithful people for himself. In the worst of times, I mean, in the very worst of times, the Bible tells us that the reign of of uh, Jezebel, what was her, let's see, Ahab. Yes. But during that reign, he, the Bible says he is worse of the worst. And it's so bad. And Elijah is so discouraged. And he's ready to just give up and die. You ever feel like that? What's the use? Uh, Elijah, when he prayed, he said, Lord, I'm the only one left. And they're, they're, they're seeking to kill me. And he was saying so many words after me, there ain't nothing. That's never true. That's never true. Because God is God. And God always reserves a remnant to himself. And in fact, he, he answered to Elijah and said, 
There's 7,000 in, you know, that never bowed the knee to Baal. And I'm sure that Elijah wondered, where are they? Sometimes we may wonder, where are they? But God has reserved a remnant to himself, believe me. I know that that 7,000 was probably a a, uh, symbolic number, but it was high enough that he was telling Elijah, I have got some people. Now, I want to tell you, friend, God's got some people. You and I may not know them. We may wonder, where are they? Well, they're there. Just because we don't know them doesn't mean they don't exist. But if it were not for the remnant that God preserves, if it were not for God's grace and his faithfulness to preserve that faithful remnant, God's people would become extinct like Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen? Amen. These are the consequences of rebelling against God. Isaiah described, my friends, some of them in our text. The moral and spiritual desolation is always one of those. Chaos and crime, suffering has always followed spiritual desolation. I mean, what we are experiencing and what is on the front pages of our newspapers and headlines on our news programs, my friend, the chaos and crime. I, I, I read it, not every day, but from time to time. And it's unbelievable of the suffering and chaos and crime. But that always follows spiritual desolation. It always does. Failure, failure to see the connection, my friend, between behavior and consequences is a tragic thing. If we cannot see the connection between what's going on and the behavior of the people, we, ain't, we don't know what's really going on. You have no idea. There's a definite connection between what's going on and behavior of people. There's a definite connection. I want to say something. I hope you understand. Sin is supposed to hurt. Sin is supposed to hurt. Oh, about 40, 45 years ago, I had a, had a operation on my knee. And back then, it was entirely different than it is today. They put me in a, in a, a full leg uh, cast from, from my hip clear down to my ankle. Well, even included part of my foot. But they just wanted that leg to be unmovable. The day after I had that operation, that leg swelled inside that cast. And I'm telling you, there was tremendous pain, tremendous pain. And I begged the nurses to cut that cast open, to, uh, and they wouldn't because they didn't have no orders from a doctor. And it wasn't until later that evening that the doctor came in. 
And when I told him I was in pain, first thing he'd done was split that cast. Oh, and it just, when he cut that, oh, the relief. And I said this to him. I said, Doc, Doctor, I said, am I a big baby or is this supposed to hurt? And he said, it's supposed to hurt. I'm telling you, sinful behavior is supposed to hurt. You're not supposed to feel good and do it. Amen? Sinful behavior is supposed to bring sorrow, chaos, trouble into our lives. The hurt of sin, my friend, is not an evil thing. It's a good thing. Somebody said, why? Because it's part of what wakes us up to our need of God. The things that we're suffering as a people and as a nation, and and we, we see it and hear about it at least every day almost, if you pay attention. But it's supposed to hurt. This is the natural consequences of rebellion against God. The charge of rebellion to the people of God was a, was a serious charge. But their moral corruption was so destructive that it was only the mercy of God that kept Israel from becoming extinct. Thank God for his grace and mercy. Rebellion, as I said, refuses, my friend, to recognize boundaries that are established by God for our good. And when we go beyond those boundaries, we're going to suffer. When we go beyond, the Bible said that the law is good and so on and beneficial, and, and it is. So that when we go beyond the boundaries of God's law, we're going to suffer. Defiant, disobedience, refuses to recognize those boundaries. That's very deeply rooted in our culture. So much so that all of us are in danger of being influenced by it if we're not careful. And we can be influenced by it without actually really knowing it or being aware of it. Personal freedom seems to become the ultimate good regardless of the tragic results. Personal freedom. Rebellion is not merely asserting our self-determination, but it's against God. It's defiant against God and the things of God. God doesn't describe every action for you and I. There are many choices left to us. But what he has done is define the limits beyond which we can't go without my friend hurting ourselves and those around us. When we go beyond those limits, hurt is going to follow. Now, if you don't believe that, live a little longer, friend. Live a little longer. And you will find out that I'm telling you the truth. 
to go beyond the boundaries of God, my friend, is to invite suffering, sorrow, and difficulty into your own life. Repentance is always very difficult for people who rebel against God. Repentance is never an easy thing, but it's, it's really a very difficult thing for those who rebel against God. Isaiah was told that further preaching, so was Jeremiah, that further preaching would only harden the people. I hope we haven't, I hope none of you have come to that place. I hope you never come to that place. But if you do, you may have placed yourself beyond hope. God did not forbid the, the prophets to preach repentance. The only thing he told them was that it wouldn't do any good. He told Ezekiel the same thing. He said, I'm sending you to rebellious people. And he said, I want you to preach to them. They ain't going to listen to you. They're not going to accept it. But I want them to know that they've had a witness from God concerning the things that they have done. Isaiah was a man of faith. And he believed, my friend, that there was hope for God's people, even, even though he never lived to see it. He dared to trust God with the future, no matter what the present conditions look like to him. The nominal professing Christian church is failing our generation. I've read two or three articles here of late. If, if, you've, uh, if you've looked online in national news, there's been at least two or three national articles on why people are leaving Christianity. I read them. Because I wanted, to, I wanted to know why. Why are people leaving the church? Why are people leaving Christianity? Why are people giving up on religion? Why? And some of their reasons were, I understand it. Some of them was because of the, the way the preachers act. Like kings, you know. Preach on uh, uh, being a living sacrifice and living in million dollar mansions. <laughs> that affects people. Somebody said, well, he deserves it. I don't believe that. I believe that a real man of God will not make himself wealthy off the gospel even if he could. Unless he made it and gave it. We as the people of God are failing in many ways to show the unbelieving world that our God 
is God. Our God is God. But that's what, that's what our calling is. That's what our purposes are. At least, not completely, but that's one of our purposes. We may have already passed the point of recovery in the present generation. I don't know the answer to that. We may already have passed that point of recovery in our present generation. But if we have, then the judgments of God lie in our immediate future. Because God is going to judge sin, friend. God is going to judge sin. Believe me, he is going to judge sin. But, listen to me now, that will not be the end of the story. It never is with God. It never is with God. Because God's purposes are going to be fulfilled, no matter what his people do. I'm going to tell you, no matter what you and I do, God's going to fulfill his purposes. Because he's going to find somebody that will, in time. And God is waiting to be gracious to his people to forgive them of their sins. Sometime, somewhere, someplace, this will occur. This will happen. And then there will be a restoration of the work of the kingdom of God. Listen to me. Restoration is always the last word from God, not judgment. We live in a difficult time, friend. There's no question in my mind. No question. We live in a time of rebellion, defiant disobedience, hostile. It's scary, especially if you're a believer, because of the repercussions it could have for us. But God's God. My God is God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible. I remember one time, and I'm going to close on this, but one time I was faced with a very difficult situation I won't go into all the detail, but to me, it was an impossible situation. I mean, just no way, no way. I couldn't even dream or imagine of a way that I could get out of it or through it. And I was troubled, deeply troubled. I was worried. I don't know where you've ever been there and praying and trusting and, and yet your faith just couldn't get a hold. And I never will forget but I believe it was God that spoke to me. I was praying in my bedroom and I had my Bible open before me. Reading and 
praying, you know, mixed up. Read a while, pray a while, trusting. And God spoke to me and said that if the God of this Bible really exists, you don't have nothing to worry about. The question is, the God of this Bible, is he really God? Is he really God? Is he really the one that created the world? Do we trust him? Do we believe in him? If we do, we really don't have anything to worry about. Father, I've talked seriously here this morning. I know these people have heard some mighty good preaching, uplifting. But I was wanting to bring some sober considerations to their mind. I wanted to warn them, Father, of the forces of evil that are so prevalent today. And we can be... We can be led astray without hardly understanding it. And we can, because of various situations, fall into a pattern, a defiance against God. I pray, Father, that Thou would speak to hearts that are here. I know, dear Lord, that someday, sometimes, that there's going to be a restoration of your work. Right now, it's, it's going down. But there's going to be a day when it goes back up. Now, I may never live to see it, Lord. But I'm going to die in faith believing it. I'm going to die trusting you, dear God, that somewhere out there in the future, that thou by thy mighty hand... Father of heaven will work the work that needs to be done. I know that judgment may be our immediate future. I know that, Lord. There ain't no way you can close your eyes to what's going on. No way at all. Not, not if you're the God of this Bible. <laughs> Lord, if this Bible truly represents you, ain't no way you can close your eyes to what's going on. And there may be judgment ahead. In fact, I believe we're already experiencing it. But beyond that, beyond that is restoration. And Father, I ask of you that thou will help us. That during this intermediate time, however long or short it is, that we will be part of that holy remnant of God. That we will be a part, Lord, of the faithful few. Because it's those on whom you build the hope for the future. Bless this people. Bless Brother Bartlett. The congregation here you have already. But continue, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? I'm going to ask Brother Yoder. First, I'm going to ask you, just for a moment, 
because of the seriousness of the hour in which we live, I'm going to ask Brother Yoder to pray again and pray that God has has mercy on our country in the midst of wrath he'll remember mercy and then I want him to pray for those of us in this congregation that are here this morning and you're smart enough people to know that Things are going haywire. And yet you're still procrastinating. And pray that you will get serious about giving your heart to God. And then pray for us as God's people to overcome discouragement and to labor like we never labored before. And if you'd like to come down here and pray, some of you, while Brother Yoder prays, we're going to dismiss the service right after we pray. If you want to take a moment to pray, pray in your pew, whatever. But these times require that you and I stretch ourselves a little more and do what we know we can do to make a difference. And that is the effectual, fervent prayer of God's people can change this situation. We may have to get victory over the clock a little bit now and then, but it's time to pray. Before we walk away from this service, it's time that we pray. So Brother Yoder's going to come, word the prayer. Those of you who want to come down and pray or pray in your pew, whatever you want to do, but let's pray. I mean, let's really pray. And let's make some real serious decisions. Because Jesus is at the door. Judgment's at the door. But like he said, God wants to end on a high note. Restoration, revival, and seeing our kids and our grandkids getting saved before God's wrath envelops this world in flames. So God bless you as we come. Would you be in an attitude of prayer, Brother Yoder? Our loving Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence, sometimes it's hard, as you already know. It's hard for me to put in words what I feel in my heart. But Lord, I'm troubled. I worry about the immediate future of the people of God and our country in particular. Oh, God, as Habakkuk prayed, in raft, remember mercy. And I ask of thee, dear God, to show mercy. Father of heaven, to show mercy. 
Lord, I know that you are waiting on us. We act as if we're waiting on you, but you're waiting on us to be gracious to us. And I ask of you that thou would move our hearts, Father, in, in a way that thou can feel free to help us in the way we need your help. I pray for Brother Bartlett. And I pray for the congregation. I pray for him that you'd help him, Father, to be faithful through the difficult days that may lay ahead of us, that he'll be faithful. Fill his heart with love, not anger, not hate. If he feels, Lord, compelled to preach again certain activities and behavior, help him to do it in love with a desire to rescue those who are bound. Help him, Heavenly Father, not to become so frustrated and so troubled by the things that he is facing that he becomes angry and that anger reveals itself through his preaching. Help him, Heavenly Father, to remain faithful, loving, and Father of Heaven, that thou will bless him in his ministry here. And then I pray for the congregation that thou would help them to have an open heart and an open mind to the Word of God. And that, Father of Heaven, that they, dear Lord, would not turn off something that may be unpleasant for them to hear. And sometimes the truth is unpleasant for us. And I pray that thou would help them not to reject it simply because it's unpleasant, but to consider it. As in our text today, Lord, one of the problems that Israel had or the people of God had, they did not consider. They didn't take time to think through what they were hearing. I pray for those that have gone astray that you'd bring them to repentance. Not just make them sorry of what they've done, but to bring them to a place of definite decision that they're going to change. I pray for those, Father, that are suffering for their sins, that Thou would help them to see the connection between their behavior and what they're suffering. I know they have a tendency to blame everything and everybody else. But they may be the very reason for their own problems. I ask of you that thou would remember our nation. Oh God, it seemed like an impossible prayer. <laughs> There's nothing on the horizon that would encourage us to believe it's possible. The only thing we have is the promises of God. And I, Father of Heaven, remind you of those promises.
You said that if your people humbled themselves and sought you, that thou would heal their land. And we need that healing. We need that healing. And Lord, in your time and in your way, carry forth your work. I know you're not through. Oh, God, my heart rejoices. I know you're not through. This is not the end of it. Father of heaven, I believe in the, in the God who restores, the God who heals. And I ask of you to restore and heal thy people and our country. I ask it in the name of Jesus for his sake. For ultimately, Lord, it is your glory that I seek. That you will be glorified as God. You will be known that the Christian God is God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our our, the Father of our Savior Jesus. That you're God. We trust you. We trust you with all the faith we have. In Jesus' name. And amen.